Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. My partner of 20 years has just decided that he is not a sex addict. He thinks it's a moral and religious constraint defined in marriage only and wants me to read a book about the myth of it all. He's, he's got hundreds of partners and eight years behind my back. He believes he has an integrity disorder, among other things. So do I. But how does someone who will not identify as an addict get well? That's called well, denial. What I'd like to speak to is his argument, and then maybe you could speak to the getting well part. We could split up sure. the question. So I had an addict friend of mine, I have different stories about this, who used to have sex in public places. And a lot in the park would pick people up as a gay guy. And when he was active in addiction, if you asked him, how come, you know, aren't you worried about going to the park? Or do you think that's a little bit odd to have sex in public? He would say, oh, well, those people aren't liberated. Those people aren't they just, they're, they're really constrained sexually. They're just not having the, they're, they're too conservative. You know, if everyone, he, I remember him saying this to me, if everyone could, they'd all, and he, oh, I remember this, it's out in nature. He said, I do, <laughs> he said that. So, you know, I think this idea that um, uh, related to your marriage is, you know, if you make a commitment to something, it doesn't matter what he says about it. If he committed to being monogamous, that is the commitment you made and the commitment that you expect. And, you know, I often say this to the clients. It's like uh, uh, if I was working with someone and I signed a, a contract with them and they were working with me and I agreed that I'm not going to focus on anyone but this company. And then in my free time, I went out and got a part time job with another company that would be not only out of my integrity, I would be breaking a contract. And I would be kind of giving my word away because I would not have value, especially in my business. But for some reason, people, men in particular, who work so hard to have business and work integrity and would never, never break a contract or fraud or whatever that is, their marriage commitment, which is also a contract, just doesn't seem to have, be as meaningful. And I would say to you, how come that contract isn't as important to your spouse because he's dismissing it? I assume he made it. 20 years ago. So did he go back to you? And this is fine, by the way, if your male partner said, you know, I want to renegotiate our monogamy and I want to do this and you can do that. If you agree to that, who cares whether you're monogamous or not? That's up to the two of you as a couple. But if your partner just decided to go out and have sex with a hundred people over eight years and didn't happen to ask or mention it, then this person is disturbed. They have a problem. And I've, Tammy and I have run into a lot of people who who devalue and dismiss the sex addiction uh, model, diagnosis, whatever it is, because they want to keep doing what they're doing. Um, we know people in the field who were working uh, in sex addiction and they decided to go act out a lot. And then they decided, oh, this sex addiction thing is just a bunch of bunk and they're therapists. But the truth is they wanted to act out and they wanted to have the kind of sex life they had. And by the way, he can have whatever kind of sex life he wants, except he's married to you. And if he wants to be with you, you're going to have to make, he's going to have to make some changes or now we move on to Tammy's part. Yeah. Or you need, because I, I was sitting here reading this going, he's put your health, your physical health 
at risk. Hundreds of partners in eight years. I hope you've had STD tests, you know, and please keep getting them because, you know, like it isn't like you get it once and you like, like a COVID test. Oh, you don't have COVID. Well, no, because it can show up, you know, six months or two years later. So you're like, you are at risk, unfortunately. But to me, it would be like, what do you need to do to set healthy boundaries for you? He can make up all the malarkey that he put in there yes thank you you know it's like oh it's just a really well if he said i do to you and only to you like dr rob said unless you guys renegotiated and you went okay it's all good with me you know he, he is he's doing this in lies and secrets and that is a lack of integrity but you know as someone who is that um uh invested in not changing um it they don't always get better, but the other thing is they won't get any help until and unless the consequences of changing are not as painful as the consequences of staying the same. So, you know, I mean, it's therapeutic separations. I've, I've had people hand up divorce papers. I've had people stay in relationships. So it's what do you need to do to set up a healthy boundary for you, for your physical safety, for your emotional safety? What do you need to do to take care of you? because he may or may not change. So, you know, two years from now, if he's still now, he's got 150 partners. Are you okay? Okay with that? You know? Yeah. And I, I agree with Tammy. It's, you know, what kind of marriage do you want? Like, you know, you're sitting here saying, well, he's not this and he's not that, and he's doing this, but it's your marriage. 50%. What kind of marriage do you want? Do you want to be in this marriage? Do you want to be in a marriage where you're being dismissed? Your beliefs are being devalued. You're being told basically to bug off and this is some of the most important, these are some of the most important issues in a marriage, uh, monogamy, childbearing, finances. I mean, these are the big ones. It's not a minor issue. Like I like eggs and Tammy doesn't like eggs. So, <laughs> I love um, eggs. and by the way, we named our program Seeking Integrity because all addicts have integrity disorders. And that means that they're living multiple lives. Integrity comes from the word integration or bringing disparate parts together. So when you integrate something, you bring it into one. Um, disintegration is when everything is all over the place. So that's what addicts are. We are disintegrated. We have our family over here and our sex life over there and work and the affair. And it's all in little boxes. It is dis, it's disintegrated. And so we're called seeking integrity because we are seeking to be one person with one set of language and one belief system. Because I believe anyway that that's how people get happy is not is being truly who themselves, who they are without secrets. Yeah. And, and I also was thinking, you know, hundreds of partners, you know, were they paid partners? How much money has he spent on his, you know, so there are so many layers of this, but um, I just want you to know there are betrayed partner support groups on this site um, we have multiple betrayed partner from a pro-dependent lens. Dr. Rob wrote a book about it. There's podcasts on that, but please join the betrayed partner groups. You will find support for you in those groups on sex and relationship healing.com. Okay. You know, I want to say something about the partners groups too, because mm -hmm. I've had people go, um, some women in particular and say, um, well, I don't want to go to that group because all those women are talking about us husbands that slip and don't have it right. And they're all messed up. And I don't want to, I don't think that's the right place for me. And of course that is exactly the right place for you. It's really hard to see these other women or men, whatever group you're in, who've had their lives so broken and so validated. It's a uh, invalidated. It's a lot like the 12 step programs when you aren't told 
you got to go this many times. You got to try different groups. You need to go for a while before you decide. Do you like it? Do you not? Um, you know, I have people who go to one meeting and they say, oh, I'm not like all those perverts. And they never come back because we're anxious. And oftentimes in a new group, we're looking for how we don't belong rather than how we do. So I recommend all you partners to listen with open ears. You don't want to be that person, but you are. And it's important for you to get support from people like you. Next question. I'm a betrayed partner. During formal therapeutic disclosure, I learned about a lot of my partners acting out that occurred during happy family times and intimate date nights, experiences, etc. I'm I feel I'm grieving the loss of these memories as I knew them because now I know they were tainted by acting out deception compartmentalization of my partner's uh, addiction. How do you recommend betrayed partners process this pain and grieving of previously fond memories that have been tarnished? Hey, Tammy, I, I want to toss that to you first, but I also want to, I just want to start by saying, I'm so, so sorry that you have these losses that you didn't deserve. You didn't ask for, you went in with open eyes and you've ended up with this. So Tammy, what are your thoughts? And I think it is a grieving process, but, but it's not black and white. I think, I think that's where the, you know, the, um, recognition comes in of, yeah, they were happy family memories and there was a lot of it. And yes, there's, you know, there's a little shadow now and it's not as lustrous as it was, but it doesn't, you know, I would, I would want to fight really hard to not let the addiction steal that, the happy memories completely away from me too. So I would be working extra hard on what I know is true about those, you know, if it's happy family memories, were you with the kids and that, you know, the kids were, you know, splashing in the lake or whatever. And you, you have this grin on your face because you're thinking about, you know, they're jumping off the dock. I don't know, but like, can you reframe some of those memories and find the, the true joy, the good stuff? Because like, just like, you know, you're talking about with the compartmentalization and Dr. Rob talked about that a moment ago. Yeah. Like you, you, the addict has compartmentalized it. So, you know, they were showing up and, you know, making s'mores and still doing the acting out behaviors, but, but they were there making s'mores, you know? So can that be a moment where you go, that was, that was a moment, you know? So it may be, you know, shifting shifting the lens a little bit for you, but there's grief, you know, there's absolutely grief that, you know, um, like you, you found out and yeah, yeah. And you found out, you know, during formal therapeutic disclosure, hopefully you've had good support, you know, in the disclosure process, it takes time. I mean, this is, you know, this is just hard stuff. So. And your memories will never be the same. I mean, you will have a different view of them. Um, and I, I want to, you know, I don't think it's unusual for sex addicts to act out um, when we're feeling anxious. And what things that make us anxious are when we're having a baby, when there are financial problems, when I'm supposed to be intimate with you and I'm feeling anxious about it. In fact, pretty much anything that makes us anxious makes us want to run to this behavior. It's the hardest thing in the world to help partners understand that this really isn't about you. I think that's the greatest and most challenging experience I know for Tammy and me is trying to help you partners understand that sex addicts would have done this. Your partner would have done this no matter who they were with. They did it most likely with someone else at some point. And were you never in their lives, they would be doing this. You could dance on the head of a pin and be the most beautiful, attractive person in the world. Doesn't matter because this is their problem. You know, if your partner were 
I don't know, bipolar or depressed, you know, once you got them in therapy or something, you wouldn't say, the therapist wouldn't say, oh, let's look at your part in their depression. And it just doesn't work that way. So I encourage you to understand that your spouse has been really sick for a long time. And that illness has led them to acting in ways that are not healthy. Um, addicts are mentally ill. I mean, let's face it. Sorry, you folks. But we and the best example I, of that I have is that just like depression or anxiety or other or bipolar or when we get anxious and stressed out, we return to behavior or we want to. And that's very much the same as someone who, who's depressed. When bad things happen, they get depressed. You know, that's we have a vulnerability to this. And that's why it takes a lifetime of work. Um, I, I can't help with the last sentence, Tammy, because I think you are going to be in the pain of grieving, you know, and I, I don't think anyone can help you with that. You're just going to have to go through it. But there is grief support. So but not alone. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, alone. I was going to say, you're not alone. So. Okay, next question. I feel obsessed with my ex-affair partner. How can I get over this person? I don't want to feel this way. Um, okay, hold on a second. I got to that one. Lost it for a second. Um, well, it doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what you do. So I don't care how obsessed. Be obsessed. Don't be obsessed. Talk about them endlessly. Uh, when I broke up a relationship many years ago, when I was in my early 30s, I talked to every single person about them. You know, were they this? Were they this? I could not stop talking about it because I was so broken and so sad about the end of a relationship. I was obsessed for a while. And I ended up depressed and on Medicaid, the whole thing, because I didn't want to live without this relationship. So I get what you're talking about. I think time, time time. It takes time to get over this, but your obsession doesn't mean you have to, how do I say this? This also goes back to something else we talked about earlier, which is when you're attached to someone and they're meaningfully, emotionally important to you, you don't just get over them because they, something bad happened. And, you know, in a way, I think the question is more, how can I tolerate the amount of time it will take me to get over this? How, what things can I do to help me get past this? But how do I get over them or how long will it take to get over them? Or, you know, I don't think, again, I think the answer is Tammy often says is what are you, how can you support your life, ver diversify your life and find your passions without being sexual or racing after this per person? And I read my ex affair partner. So that to me means there's a, yeah. there's a, uh, a spouse or someone out. I should, yeah, but I should be, there's somebody attached to me that really would like me to be paying attention to them instead of me obsessing about this person over here. So what are you doing to re-engage if I read it right? And I don't know that I did, but what are you doing to re-engage with the person that you cheated on? is you know one of one of the things i'm thinking about and if you haven't read out of the dog house mm -hmm. there's some really good things but you know like anything else you know it's like you talk about like if you know you know you, you don't think about the pink elephant well what do you think about the pink elephant so what are you doing you know we talk i'm going to go back to we have those work groups because in the work groups we, we get a foundation of of you know what a, a a relapse prevention plan. How do we shift our focus? How do we shift our obsession? What are we doing that is the healthy stuff? And I would invite you to, there's the next group is starts October 2nd. I would invite you to consider something like that to reshift your focus so that you're able to think about what do I want to do that's healthy? Be intentional about that. 
be intentional about repairing the relationship of with your partner, your non affair partner. You, I think you, that would go a long ways to making you feel better about yourself and feeling less obsessed. Next question. Okay. Sex and porn addict here, 90 days clean. Yay. 50 year old, 50 years old wife has phone with lots of evidence asking her to delete info on phone. She has seen everything. Um, on phone, videos, sex apps, etc. Oh, I, I put know. it in the doghouse. Yeah, um, I know. I saw that. 50-year-old wife has evidence asking her to delete info on the phone. She's seen everything. I'm not... I don't see a question there. I'm going to go back to the others. So. Sex and port out of here, 90 days clean. 50-year-old oh, wife has phone with lots okay, of evidence. Lots of evidence. I don't know who's asking. Is he? Is this person asking her to delete info? Or I got the impression that wife has a phone with lots of evidence asking her to delete info on the phone. Yeah, so it seems like he's, I'm saying he, he's asking oh, right. her to delete things, but she's seen everything. So yeah, my answer to that is good luck. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. No, she's going to save that. So uh, that's going to go, you know, it's either going to be something that she will release when she's out of pain and the two of you will send it up like something you throw in a fireplace to let go of emotionally, or um, she can take you to divorce lawyer with it. So I don't think she's yeah. giving it up either way right now. No. Concentrate 90 on- 90 days is yeah, so early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep concentrating on how do you keep racking up more time and make sure, like if you haven't read out of the doghouse, I'm gonna repeat that one. You know, that like be doing the things that help build trust because you're more likely and don't do it just to get the phone back and delete things, you know, but do it because you really want to change. So, and I want to add one more thing to it. Um, leave her alone. Leave her alone. You have given up the authority and ability to make these kinds of decisions in your relationship. You gave that up when you lied, when you cheated. Now your spouse gets to look at whatever they want for as long as they want, unless you want to be no longer be with them. You have a choice here. If you want to leave them, you know, you can do whatever you want and you know, uh, she can do whatever she wants with that. But this idea that I want to get this off evidence, even the word evidence, sorry, just feels to me like, like some kind of legal thing, you want to just have it erased from your record. That, that's not what's happening here. Um, your spouse is holding on to the, the, in their hands to the violation that they've experienced. And they're going to sit in that pain and hold on to that for a while. In fact, sadly, she'll probably, or he or whoever, your partner, wife, she'll look at those pictures a lot. And she'll look at those things a lot. And she's going to drive herself crazy with it. But you put it in her hands. <laughs> so I think before you focus on, can I get her to stop doing this or not do that? I agree with Cammie. I think the focus needs to be on what you're doing for your healing. 90 days is really early. And it's certainly not a place Especially where you can ask anything of her. For a 50-year-old, that means those behaviors are, you know, decades old. Even if you weren't acting out, like those patterns, you know, were set up long ago. So, so yeah, a, a lot of work to do, but I mean, you can get there. So, so uh, keep doing what you need to do on a daily basis. This isn't going to see a therapist once a week for 50 minutes that won't cut it. So I'm glad you're here though. That's a good thing. Okay, next question. Chapter two of Sex Addiction 101, that's one of Dr. Rob's books, about porn defines casual users, at-risk users, and addicted users. 
can you quantify use? If someone spends one hour on porn once every three months, then they're casual, I assume. If someone spends three hours a day, then they are addicted, I assume. Can you give some numbers about the three user types? Thank you. Yeah, I don't think that they have to do with numbers. I think they have to do with quality of life. So to me, an at-risk user is someone who, um, sorry, let's go direct to casual. Casual users are people who might look at porn occasionally and they enjoy it. And, you know, whether or not they tell their spouse, which they should, but maybe they don't, but it's not an obsession. It doesn't drive them. It's occasional or maybe for periods of time, it's a little more and other periods of time, it's a little less, but casual means just what it means. You know, uh, that it, there are casual drinkers, there are casual smokers they, they are not they don't necessarily have a problem. It's just, you know, once in a while when they're with friends, they might do this or that. So I don't think that casual, it, casual is not a number. It's, it's how you live your life in relationship to this behavior. An at-risk behavior, an at-risk person is someone who, when they're stressed, when bad things happen, when good things happen, they might for periods of time turn to the porn. So let's say, you know, I'm I hope this never happens when my dog passes away. And so, you know, then I might start watching porn, you know, every single day or several times a day, but over time, as my feelings go away and I'm feeling better, it just disappears. And so to me, that's an at-risk user, meaning that they tend to want to turn to this to soothe themselves, but it's not an absolute. It's not their sole way of doing it. And if they wanted to stop, they could. And if they can't, that's why they're called at risk. And addicted users are people whose, again, it's not about numbers. It's about how is the use of porn affecting your life? Addiction is never about numbers. It's not about I drink a glass of whiskey and the other person drinks two glasses of wine. It's how does my drinking affect my life? And so an addicted user is somebody whose sexual obsessions and whatever they're doing around sex and porn is leading them away from their priorities in life. So you're talking to friends less often. You're isolating more. You're not getting that work project done. Your spouse walked in and found you and is furious. You did it at work and your boss says, boy, you're in trouble. In other words, you can see how forward and back that the things you want, you're spending more and more time looking at porn and less and less time doing them. And commitments and beliefs and things that you held on before are quickly disappearing so that you can keep looking at the porn. Addicted users tend to lie, tend to manipulate, tend to have the behavior as their priority over their relationships and over other things in their life. Um, an at-risk user might, during periods of time, put the porn first, but not regularly. And the casual user is picking it up occasionally and I would say having a little fun. Next question. I'm a betrayed partner. My partner and I just had formal disclosure and have remained absent for over 90 days, as was advised by his therapist. We would like to work on reintegrating intimacy, both emotional and sexual, and have purchased the Burkhaz book on sexual reintegration. However, my therapist said he says he and I are not ready to start their therapy process yet because we should wait till after the impact letter and restitution letters. Is it, is it recommended that couples remain abstinent until being able to begin sexual reintegration? Well, I don't think there's a universal answer for this because I imagine that every couple is different. And I don't know of any rules around this that I know of, Tammy. I do think, though, that here's my best uh, statement about this, and I say it over and over again, is why would you want to have sex or be intimate with someone you don't trust? You know, if I don't trust you to not go out there and do this or that, if I don't trust that you're still lying to me, if I don't trust you know, whatever you say, then I probably shouldn't have sex with you. Most of us 
pretty much learned early. You're not supposed to have sex with people you don't trust. Um, so, or at least most of the time. So I agree. I think that it depends on where you are, but your therapist knows. Your therapist knows where you are. And if they say, to be quite honest, I think you should wait a little while, I would wait a little while. Hopefully they're trained, they know what they're doing. If you did a formal disclosure and you remain absent, I assume that your work is going well. So why would you wanna challenge anything else they have to say? They've gotten you sober, you've gotten you through disclosure. Why don't you just do what they say? Is it really that important to have sex right away? However, can you hold hands? Can you stroke each other's hair? Can you, one of you sits in the bathtub and the other person washes the other person, one's dressed, one's not, you know, can you do massages? Can you find all kinds of ways of being intimate? Because so often sex addicts in particular, sex is intercourse. Intimacy is intercourse. That's it. And intimacy has nothing to do with intercourse. It could be intercourse, but it could be a million other things because intimacy is about being known and connected, not about the act in which you create the intimacy. It, uh, sex is one of the more profound forms of intimacy, but there are many ways to be intimate. So I'm wondering what you're doing to work on your emotional connection um, rather than being so focused on the physical. That's what comes to mind. And by the way, sex addicts are all about, when are we going to have sex? I want to have sex. It'll for, for spouses, sometimes it makes you feel reassured. Like, if we're having sex, then they're not with someone else and I'm keeping them in line. And, you know, I don't think that's a very good idea, but I've seen spouses do that. I've also seen addicts want to have sex with you a lot because we, we think it will calm you down, make you love us, make you forgive us. And it's a place to go for sex. So I would ask the therapist, why do you think we are not ready? Because I don't think it's a, it's a universal issue, but clearly that is the feeling about you as a couple. So I would pay attention. And I would be curious about what the timeline is for the impact letter and the restitution letter. Like if those are imminent, you know, but I really, I was thinking the same thing that Dr. Rob was talking about, you know, cause like, it sounds like the therapist addressed the sexual behavior, but I don't hear anywhere other than that one line about emotional. So I would really focus on how can you connect emotionally? You know, that, that would be, I think valuable and a necessary step before uh, reintroducing sexual relationships so yeah i would actually feel better about and honestly if you guys were saying how can i have more fun how can we do more things together how could we grow the connection between us after all this pain those are the right questions to ask when can we have sex sounds like a sex addict to me because that's our focus and that's not really helpful so next question, I attend four to five meetings every week, and I always feel shame and guilt after sharing when I slip in meetings after feedback. Is this normal or am I just being too sensitive? Yeah, I think anybody would feel shame. Shame is not the goal. Shame is not where we'd like you to go. Um, it's more like, wow, I made a really bad mistake and I really kind of screwed up and I need to get back on my feet and get to work. So, but that doesn't mean, I think you should feel bad. You know, when you make a promise to yourself and you lie and you, you break the promise, I think you should feel bad. If you make a promise to someone else and you break it, I think you should feel bad. So I don't know that there's a problem with feeling badly. I think it's, I wouldn't say normal because I don't know what normal is, but it's healthy. Um, now, if you beat yourself up with tremendous shame and move into, I'm a horrible person, that's not helpful. If you use the, the uncomfortable feelings when you have a slip to double up, your energy toward meetings and therapy, you use, okay, I get it back on the bus and work harder. Then you've gotten the meaning of that pain. 
Um, but to just feel like you're a terrible person uh, and sit in that chair hating yourself, useless. Um, talking to your sponsor about what you can do to up your sobriety and get more support for not slipping, awesome. Yeah, shame is useless. Guilt can be motivating. What I heard right. was four to five meetings a week. I don't hear I'm working the steps. I don't hear I have a sponsor. I don't hear I'm working with a qualified therapist for this. I don't hear any of those other things. Me just parking my butt in a meeting, nice, good connection and all that kind of stuff. But it's, you know, when I first got into uh, recovery, someone uh, said this, the elevator to recovery is broken. Please use the steps. And I've remembered that because if I don't work the steps, you know, I'm not going to get the the promises of, of the 12 steps are all a reality, but we have to do the work. And that's where the beauty is. If you're, if, if four to five meetings, isn't enough, Dr. Rob has talked about this before. If what you're doing isn't enough up the level, what do you need to do? What's going to help you stop the slipping, you know, cause clearly that's you know, problematic. And, and I say this often too, it's like, you didn't slip in the moment when you slipped, you slipped, you know, two hours before when you, you know, got bored or, you know, you, somebody looked at you crosswise or whatever. So, so it's one of those things where, it, it, you know, like doing kind of an analysis of what's going on, where are you in the steps? So I'm going to, I'm going to encourage it. And we've included, um, on, sex and relationship There's a video series about what working through the steps, breaking them down line by line. Again, if you can't find what you're looking for, email me, Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. So is therapy essential part for recovery? After sharing in a recovery group feedback, I heard from others. It is, it's that it's impossible to do recovery by yourself. Is that true? Well, these are two different yes. issues. I mean, yeah. does it, yeah. can you recover by yourself? No. Uh, you, you know, this is something, you know, it's like saying, can I heal from cancer by myself? No, you need experts, you need support, you need to go to a support group. I mean, there's a lot of work you have to do. It really isn't any different. You have an illness that requires, uh, that requires help. And so hold on a second. And you're not going to be able to help yourself if you think, and, and, you know, we often say like, if you could have done it better or you could have different, done it differently, you would. So we also say your best thinking got you here. So if your best thinking has got you acting out and struggling with betraying people and all that stuff, then probably you need the thinking of other people. Is therapy essential? No, it's not essential to get sober, to stop the behavior and work on becoming a better person. No one ever really needed therapy if they were involved with the 12-step program. Uh, now, a couple of things, people who just stop and don't get support, we call them dry drunks. They're usually mean and frustrated and angry people because they've never learned to replace their addiction with nurturing and fun and love and recreation and peace of mind. So they're just walking around miserable and not acting out. Um, if you go to therapy, I think there's a better, it, it's a, I think therapy is like a higher level. So if, if addiction meetings, all that is just dealing with the addiction, it's not a just, it's a lot of work. But the next level up is how did I get here? Why am I in this place? We often talk about the addiction being like the tip of the iceberg. And it is the addiction is the symptom. So you can put a symptom at rest and stop the symptom. Absolutely. But if you want to go look at where it comes from, that's what therapy is. It's all the stuff that's under the water. And there's always a lot more to the iceberg that you don't see than there is that you see. So, yeah, I think that if you end up being a sex addict, therapy is great. But not everyone, part of why Tammy and this team has set up 
all of these free resources like podcasts and drop-in groups is because we're very aware that some people can't afford therapy. We run a treatment center, but we're very aware that most people won't be able to go there for various reasons. So all of this stuff, which is involving other people, every group, everything we do involves connecting with other people, um, except maybe, yeah, everything does. Um, I think that's I would be in all of those places. And by the way, go everywhere you can. Go to every group, everything, every that you, until you find what works for you. But I think therapy is always a good tool toward finding peace within yourself. And I, yeah, I, and I agree. I, I needed, you know, both individual and group therapy beyond my 12, I was sober. I, I was absolutely sober. I was doing stuff, but I wasn't, I, you know, like I still had these issues and they were the underlying issues and to be willing to work on that and get the freedom from that was, and, and it was years in, it wasn't like I did this the first, you know, 10 minutes I was sober, but it, being willing to step into that and go, I know there has to be more because I see other people having more. And I believe that it was, it was worth, I mean, every penny that I've spent on therapy and treatment was worth it for the, the gift of recovery. I have the serenity I have now, I, you know, totally worth it. So. And, and I want to add one more thing. You know, a lot of times when people come to the treatment program, come to Seeking Integrity, because they feel so awful about themselves and what they've done, the biggest question they want to ask in the therapy environment is, um, how did I get to be this way? Why do I have this problem? And that's, those are great questions, and they can be comforting and help you be at peace with yourself. But hear me, therapy is great, but the acting out that takes uh, it, it takes a whole different stance and different kind of work. Therapists can push you into that work, but ultimately a therapist is not going to get you sober. You're going to get you sober, and the world of sober people is going to get you sober. What's going to bring you peace of mind inside of you is more likely to be therapy. Oh, by the way, and every guy who comes to our program says, am I a bad person? I know I'm a bad person because I've done all these bad things. And part of treatment is saying, you know, I don't think you're a bad person, but you're a really broken person. And making that shift from, a, from being a bad person to being a broken person takes away all the shame. Because if yeah. you could have not done it, you would have not done it. Sorry, Tammy, yeah. I know we need to stop. No, 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 no. But I was like, and I've had a couple of people that get really upset with being called broken. I'm like, I would way rather know that I'm broken and, you know, there's, you know, gorilla glue out there to help me put the pieces back together again <laughs> than to just go, you know, I'm a hot mess and there's no help. There's no hope, you know? So, so I'm, I'm grateful. So. Yeah. I mean, if I can accept that I have an issue, then I can work on it. If, and, and that it came from somewhere, if I don't want to accept it, then I can't grow. Yes. So, yeah. And people who go, you know, do some of the things we do, they're broken just yeah. by their behavior. Yeah. Right. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.